Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Colombia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in London. That's right, I'm still here in the 40 degrees that is we are currently experiencing here in the capital city. Uh, this is episode 433 of the Columbia Calling podcast. I'm happy to say that Emily Hart is on the mend. I hope that she'll be back to full, well, operating capacity and free of COVID by next week. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm just going to go through a few news stories, really, that you might have missed if you're not in Colombia, because of course, stories are of great importance to Colombia, but beyond Colombia, perhaps they just don't hit the headlines. So before we launch into those, and before we go into the uh, uh, news segment with Emily Hart, let me remind you that this episode is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. And this episode is brought to you by BNB Colombia Tours, experts in custom-made travel throughout Colombia. The team at BNB Colombia Tours can provide you with fantastic private experiences, creating wonderful memories of Colombia for a lifetime. Check out the website at bnbcolombia.com. Complete the free itinerary form and tell them that Colombia Calling sent you to receive a further 5% off. They're already great prices. So don't go away. Right now, over to Emily Hart and then back for a few perhaps overlooked stories from Colombia told by me. Thank you. I'm Emily Hart and these are your top stories for the week of Monday, 18th of July, 2022. At the UN Security Council, the President of the Truth Commission, Father Francisco de Ru, presented the Commission's final report on Colombia's five decades of civil conflict. Deru criticised the notion that weapons provide security, saying that security policy has failed to provide security for human beings in Colombia, instead providing security to systems, property, businesses and the armed bureaucracy itself. He asked the international community to stop the war on drugs, one of the major recommendations of the report, recommending instead a policy of regulation and education. Meanwhile, the U.S. Office of National Drug Control Policy has reported that the area taken up by coca cultivation in Colombia fell last year. 
a reduction of 11,000 hectares relative to 2020, a fall of 4.5%. The monitoring system also presented data from other Andean countries, such as Peru and Bolivia, which rank second and third in coca production respectively. While Colombia and Peru's potential cocaine production and coca crop area fell versus 2020, both remained higher than before the coronavirus pandemic. Colombia's special peace tribunal, the HEP, has announced a new macro case, the biggest so far, known as the FARC Umbrella Case, covering the totality of crimes committed by the FARC guerrilla. The macro case has three central lines of investigation, urban structures and terrorist attacks like that on the El Nogal Club, war crimes and illegal methods of war, including landmines, and crimes relating to social and territorial control, including so-called social cleansing. The HEP is also opening a case on sexual violence and other crimes motivated by sex, sexual orientation and gender identity. This follows years of pressure and advocacy by women's groups and victims' organisations. These investigations seek to redress the rights of victims, offering truth, justice, reparation and non-repetition. The HEP will determine reparation to victims and will investigate, judge and sanction the perpetrators. Two other macro cases are expected to be opened relating to serious crimes committed by the security forces in association with paramilitary structures and other state agents and crimes committed against ethnic groups and territories. Nestor Gregorio Vera, alias Ivan Mordisco, has died in an armed forces bombing this week, according to Defence Minister Diego Molano. Mordisco had been a FARC guerrilla for 32 years and was one of the first leaders of the now-defunct guerrilla group to withdraw from the peace process. He was accused of drug trafficking, extortion, recruitment of minors, homicides and forced displacement. He was killed along with nine other fighters last weekend in a jungle area of southwestern Caquetá province. Dissident FARC leaders Jesus Santrich, Romana and El Paisa have also recently been killed, while the commander of the Segunda Marquetalia, alias Ivan Marquez, reportedly survived a recent attack in Venezuela, according to Colombia's armed forces. Controversy around Colombia's biggest company this week, hydrocarbons company Ecopetrol, after a reform by President Ivan Duque, which extended the current term of its board of directors by two years to 2025, well into the new government term. Ecopetrol's largest shareholder is the state, so some feel this change in rules was an attempt by Duque to prevent incoming president Gustavo Petro from replacing directors and making changes to the company after he announced plans to reform both company and sector more broadly. Incoming finance minister José Antonio Ocampo called it an attack on democracy. The company has said it was a means to protect its policies from politicisation. The company represents 40% of Colombia's exports and has historically faced numerous scandals around ties between executives and misconduct including fraud and links to paramilitaries. The Liberal Party has announced that they will be part of Petro's government coalition in exchange for representation in the cabinet. The endorsement is now official, giving Petro a majority in the House of Representatives and putting him only two votes away from achieving a majority in the Senate. The new director of Colombia's tax agency has been announced. Economics professor Luis Carlos Reyes, who has announced tougher penalties on tax evasion, 
including prison sentences. He announced an end to the number of tax exemptions for individuals and businesses. Oil and mining companies will also lose tax benefits. He also announced progressive taxation, but only for those who earn more than 10 million pesos per month, around 2,000 US dollars, which is around 1% of Colombia's population. His major task during his tenure will be implementing the extensive reforms promised by Petro during his campaign. After last week's historic highs, the dollar continued to rise, reaching over 4,600 Colombian pesos this week, a new record. Today, however, the dollar is back down to around 4,300 Colombian pesos. Those were your top stories for this week. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next Monday. And yes, we're back. This is Columbia Calling, episode 433. And we've got a few things to clear up in this episode as we perhaps reflect on episode 432. Of course, we uh, did an episode with uh, inserts from Jimena Sanchez Garcioli from WOLA, that's the Washington Office of Latin America, and Kyle Johnson of CORE. So, yes, we had those, and Emily and myself batted back and forth questions sent in by our Patreon supporters. Of course, those of you who want to get involved, that's www.patreon.com forward slash Columbia Calling. Anyhow, it's interesting how things turn out, because... A bunch of people said you're obviously, you know, accused uh, accused us if it was such a bad thing of being Petro supporters, and then others accused us of being non-Petro supporters. And so it's it's, it's very interesting to be uh, sort of on both sides of that. And it's not, you know, wrong to be one or the other, and it's not a bad thing to be one or the other. And I just thought we'd clarify, you know, and um, Emily says in this, when we, when we discussed it, we discussed it together. It's like her, her official line is she's just a person with some information and some opinions, no agenda, no active participation in Colombian politics or right to vote, no affiliation whatsoever. And I second that entirely not that we got in trouble but it's really amusing to see it is amusing to see someone saying oh you're a petro supporter again not that it's a bad thing but it's such a meaningless framework for an understanding of what a foreign journalist actually does uh you know we're just people with information some opinions no agenda so it's uh it's just uh it's just something that we're doing and we don't have uh, anything to push. We don't have any affiliation to hide. But uh, but we are talking about what's going on in Colombia. And it goes some way to explaining a lot of the problems and the issues taking place in Colombia. I guess it's not just Colombia, is it, really? It's everywhere. But you can't be one thing, or if you're not one thing, you're the other thing. If you're in one thing, you're another thing. So it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. And, and so be it. And everybody's entitled to their opinions on these things. Well, now, I had promised you sort of some discussions or some, like, updates about Maybe some stories that you've have been overlooked in the mainstream media uh, in the last couple of weeks in Colombia. Then we're moving on from the Gustavo Petro. I mean, if you haven't heard somehow, the former mayor of Bogota, former M19 guerrilla, third time running for president. He makes he, he's he's won. He'll be in in early August. Uh, he wishes to make a clean break 
with what he sees as the backwards policies of President Ivan Duque and the political establishment in that country, in the country of Colombia. As we talk at the moment, it seems that the government of President Duque is tying up as many deals and contracts as possible to get them done before Gustavo Petro gets in. And people are uh, talking about the raspando la olla. It's like the spoon scraping the bottom of the pan when it comes to the budget. And and there's a, a mention that this fiscal eros, irresponsibility will laden Colombia with debt for years to come. We will see. We will see. But uh, you know, I've been reading Daniel Coronel and Los Danieles, and of course Ana Bejarano, and they haven't been positive. Let's just let's be uh, uh, very honest of that. Petro, he promised to aggressively pursue the 2016 peace accords with the ex-FARC to, to FARC to protect and reintegrate the former guerrillas, provide security for social and community leaders, pursue an environmental agenda, and phase out the country's dependence on fossil fuels and deal with the rising cost of living. It will all been mentioned during his presidential campaign. How he plans to do so remains to be seen, but he is picking interesting people for his cabinet. Can he deliver? We will see again whether his hands are tied or whether he gets you know, reluctant or reticent in uh, delegating. Um, he's not very good at that, but maybe he's changed in the last few years. What can we expect of the probable security situation under President-elect Petro? Well, it will not change overnight, and this is going to be challenging for an incoming president. So what do we think about that? Deforestation appears as unstoppable. We've been seeing some uh, reports coming out. It just continues to keep on growing uh, deforestation, just as the production of cocaine continues virtually unabated. Uh, the main criminal groups, of course, such as the Clan del Golfo, the ELN guerrillas, and the FARC dissidents, control much of rural Colombia. And, they, uh, and there are emerging armed groups making inroads into the cities. And finally, let's talk about, let's think about what of the relationship with Venezuela. We think, of course, that Gustavo Petro will, he has pledged to repair this relationship. Um, and, but in spite of the fact that the regime of President Nicolas Maduro has harbored and even aided guerrilla groups. But what I wanted to cover here is there have been two very important and relevant reports published in the past months. And... We haven't really discussed them here on the podcast, and maybe I have the opportunity to summarize a little bit. At the end of June, there was a UN report. It was a United Nations verification mission in Colombia. It was a report of the Secretary General. And, well, the UN verification mission in Colombia counted at that point 56 killings of human rights defenders and social leaders in just three months between March 26th to June the 27th. That's three homicides every five days. In the nearly five years and four months before this last quarterly reporting period, the UN mission counted about one homicide every four days. And according to the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, between January and May 2022, 60,000 765 civilians have been forcibly confined and more than 33,800 people have been forcibly displaced, most of whom belong to indigenous and Afro-Colombian communities. Similarly, during the same reporting period, the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights received information about the killing of 56 
human rights defenders. That includes four women, seven of which are verified, 39 under verification, and 10 inconclusive. The report also noted that insecurity is undermining economic reintegration in several departments, such as Arauca, Cauca, Meta, and Putumayo, where illegal armed actors continue targeting cooperatives and leaders of former combatants. Since the signing of the agreement, that's in 2016, with the FACS FARC, 327 former combatants have been killed, 93 have been victims of attempted homicide, and 27 are deemed as missing. And during the reporting period, 11 former combatants were killed. So, not easy reading. And on the subject of not easy, easy reading, at the end, at the very end of June, 28th of June, the report, the Truth, Coexistence and Non-Recurrence Commission, so the Truth Report, uh, came out from the Truth Commission. And I'm going to go over a few key points just in, just in case. Uh, it's, this is the commission that emerged from the peace agreement between the Colombian government and the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, or the FARC, as they're officially known. And it's presented its final report on June 28th, and this closes a key chapter to the historic cycle that the country began in 2016 at the end of the peace negotiations. The Commission's mandate does not contemplate providing evidence in judicial proceedings or pointing out individual responsibility for crimes committed. Its mandate is to identify groups who participated in the armed conflict and were responsible for human rights violations such as killings, disappearances, massacres and torture, amongst other crimes. The report's conclusions, however, are essential for building the peace in Colombia so desperately needs. Now, this is not some extreme left-wing report. This is a painstakingly compiled report pointing to who has most suffered during the Colombian conflict. So the first takeaway point, really, is that the focus on victims' right to the truth. When this commission was created during the peace negotiations, the government of Juan Manuel Santos and the FARC gave the commission a threefold mission to help clarify events that took place during the conflict, to promote and contribute to the recognition of victims whose rights were violated and promote coexistence in Colombia's territories. During the report's presentation, Francisco de Rue, president of the commission, said that the document provides, and I quote, a message of hope and future, of uncomfortable truths that challenge our dignity, words that come from the victims who have fought to keep the memory. And closing quotes. So point two, the civilian population was the most vulnerable during the war. One of the main conclusions of this report is that the non-combatant civilian population was the most affected during the years of conflict. The report states that, open quotes, out of every 10 people killed violently in the armed conflict, eight were civilians, close quotes. When the currently known number of missing persons is added, that's a roughly 121,000, the figure rises to 90% civilian casualties. Furthermore, violence affected certain populations in particular ways. Although the suffering and uncertainty caused by the internal armed conflict were experienced in all parts of Colombia, they were and continue to be more destructive and persistent in ethnic communities. Point three is the role of the United States. 
The report acknowledges U.S. support for the peace process, but is critical of the role that a number of U.S. governments played in developing security policies, militarizing the society and withholding information about the relationship between paramilitary groups and the Colombian military. Overall, the Commission recommends that the international community continues its efforts to support the full implementation of the peace agreement. Point four, drug policy. It recommends that the Colombian government leads and promotes an international debate to reformulate drug policy in cooperation with the United States and creates a new vision to move from a prohibitionist perspective towards legal regulation. And point five, the next steps. So here among the main recommendations of the commission, including the final report, that the Colombian government advances in the implementation of the peace agreement strengthens humanitarian assistance measures and guarantees a territorial approach with emphasis on ethnic and gender issues, that the security of former combatants be guaranteed and that the progress be made in negotiations with the National Liberation Army, that's the ELN. Improve the administration of justice in four areas, the independence of the institutions in charge of investigating human rights violations, adjustments to investigation methodologies, creation of an investigation support mechanism, and the establishment of limits to the extradition of persons implicated in other crimes to guarantee victims' rights. Create, create an independent commission to examine the risks of co-optation and corruption of the Attorney General's office, and that this office assumes all investigations so that they fall under the jurisdiction of the ordinary justice system. That the Colombian government promotes concrete transformations in the security apparatus to reduce militarization with a new doctrine that prioritizes human rights. This includes the separation of the national police from the Ministry of Defense. And finally, the publication of the report and the recommendations made, which President-elect Gustavo Petro pledged to read and implement, have undoubtedly opened a new chapter in Colombia's history. So, there are challenges ahead, but we're looking at a, it's not a manifesto, but the, the, the plans that Gustavo Petro and his vice president, Francia Marquez, they know there's challenges ahead, but they have to show the significant commitment to their electorate. And so they're going to have to sort of address, let's see, first, the quality of life for Colombians. So this agenda is based around three key tenets, the guarantee of a country transitioning to peace, an ambitious appeal for social justice, and a program of environmental justice. So they will significantly have to improve and increase the implementation of the peace accords. There are commitments as yet not addressed, such as agrarian reform, a change in the country's drug policy, and a lasting and robust system of justice and reparation for victims of the conflict. This agenda cannot end here, and talk of possible peace negotiations with the ELN abound. But then there's the issue of the Clan del Golfo. Will, will they, won't they? Will they, won't they? But social justice, when we talk about that in the context of Petro, it's a principal concern of the incoming government. Social justice, as they see it, is the way in which living conditions can be improved for those left impoverished by the pandemic and the rising costs 
of living. Within this, they hope to subsidize sectors of the agricultural economy through a series of progressive tax reforms. Raising funds is going to be absolutely crucial since Petro Marquez are going to receive a country with the greatest fiscal debt in Colombia's history. So, and then they've got progressive environmentalism. This incoming government has been outspoken on their desire to present environmental credentials and declarations in favor of a decarbonization of Colombia's economy. These have caused jitters amongst many sectors, and this will not be an easy position to follow, but their supporters expect results. And this will end up being part of a larger transnational debate rather than a domestic policy. So there are some ideas there that have perhaps been overlooked in all the sort of melee that has been going on. And of course, all of this chatter around the former, I think, I guess he is head of Planeación under the Duque um, administration. Uh, and I've got stories about him from, from Montbos, so, but you'll have to buy my book later on because I can, uh, we'll have to wait about a year, year and a half uh, to not get in trouble once I tell them, but uh, just so you know, it's there. Anyway, hopefully there are, there's a way forward, isn't there? Hopefully there's a way forward because at this point in time, Gustavo Petro has secured the support of the Liberal Party, he's secured the support of, which has just about, if not pushed him over the majority. Well, it's just about the majority in Congress. And he's currently enjoying 63% favorability rating amongst Colombia. So this is, this is a big deal. Um, we will see how this progresses in the next few weeks. But there needs to be an engagement, I think, first with these illegal groups, perhaps the biggest challenge of all. There's a lot of unhappy people out there. But Petro has repeatedly said, engaging with these groups is the only path forward and one of the key topics of his political plan to, to oversee Colombia transition to becoming a country in peace. So those are my kind of thoughts here and some ideas and some feedback and, and so on when I thought about what we spoke on last week. Uh, and the idea was just to give a bit more background to it all and a bit more, I guess, you know, depth to it all because... You know, either we're Petra supporters or we're not Petra supporters, but we're not either, we're neither, and, and it's not wrong to be one and it's not wrong to be the other. And our role here is to sort of report, isn't it? Report on what's going on. Uh, we've had many emails of support and, you know, obviously the naysayers as well. Um, so be it. That's it. Anyway. That's me talking for this week. That's enough for me because I'm still here in London and it's hotter than Montpos at the moment. So we've got to be careful and I've got to stay hydrated. Uh, a couple of words from our sponsors again. The Columbia Calling podcast is sponsored by Latin News, a leading source of political and economic analysis on Latin America and the Caribbean since 1967. Their flagship publication, the Latin American Weekly Report, provides a behind-the-scenes scenario uh, briefing on all the week's key developments throughout the region. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at latinnews.com. Uh, 
And this episode is also brought to you by BNB Columbia Tours, experts in custom-made travel throughout Colombia. The team at BNB Columbia Tours can provide you with fantastic private experiences, creating wonderful memories of Colombia for a lifetime. Check out the website at bnbcolombia.com, complete the free itinerary form, and tell them that you heard about them on the Columbia Calling podcast to receive a further 5% off their already great prices. So that's latinnews.com and BNB Columbia Tours, bnbcolumbia.com. So thank you again. We'll be back next week. And of course, subscribe, pledge to us on Patreon, or just listen every week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.